Good morning, Impact City. Good morning, Impact City family. We're so excited that you are here this morning. Look at somebody, smile at them, give them a high five, hug them, fist pump, whatever it is. Tell them it's good to see you. We are so glad that you're here today. We are excited for this moment. We're excited that you made time to worship with us. I have the incredible honor to introduce our speaker this morning. He is a hero of the faith, and I heard him described yesterday as Jesus in loafers. And he is, he is an incredible man, and he, his wife is an incredible woman. We are so glad. Tom and Trina Lowe, the greatest, some of the greatest people that you will ever meet are here with us today. And we're excited. I'm excited to sit down and just enjoy the word and take it all in and I invite you to do the same. Let's preach with him. Let's engage in the word. And would you help me give the biggest Impact City welcome to Pastor Tom Lowe. It's his first time in Odessa, Texas. Let's lift up the name of Jesus as he comes and takes this place. Love you. Love you. Come on, let's give Jesus a big worship round of applause. Come on, make Jesus Big in your heart through your worship. God bless you, Impact City. Thank you, Pastor John, for the opportunity to come. God bless you. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. What a good God we have. And let me just say at the outset how honored uh, Trina and I are to be here. We pastor in West Monroe, Louisiana. I got to see some of you guys in our city just not too long ago, more than some of you, about 35 or 40 of you came. And was able to make a reconnection with many of you today. So God bless you. Thank you for being here today and worshiping from your hearts. Man, there is an atmosphere in this place. I want to tell you, anything can happen because Jesus is in the house. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So Trina and I have been married a little bit about us for 44 years. She's the bride of my youth. And uh, we have two grown children, 140, our baby daughter who's very involved in our church, her family. Our son, Ryan, is 42. And uh, I know we don't look that old, but okay, I'm just kidding. Um, Ryan is following me in the pastoral ministry. He's actually preaching in my absence today. And so we're delighted to be able to come. Thank you, all of you, for your kindness. Hey, I want to turn it out, just so you'll know how brilliant of a person I am before we even get started. Stand up, Trina. Let people see how smart I am. Come on. Come on. Would you just say hello to Trina? She's the best part of me, and I'm blessed uh, to have her on my side in ministry. Uh, th this is a great day. Your pastors, uh, Pastor John and Desiree, have been so gracious and such amazing hosts and hostesses and got to spend some time yesterday over meals and fellowshipping with them. And I tell you, I, I believe, uh, y'all got COVID around here? Is, is there such a thing as COVID in Texas? We got it in Louisiana. Uh, I'm just so thankful that God is Lord over cancer. He's Lord all, over all the C words, right? Uh, I can't think of all of them right now. Cancer, COVID, colitis, is that something? I don't know. But Jesus is Lord over all that. He said, on this rock, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will be able to prevail against the church. Anybody in the house believe that today? Amen. So we're thrilled to be here. They have been so kind. All of you have been so, so kind. I even had one sweet sister tell me she liked my top today. And I'm thinking, for a minute, I said, wait a minute, am I in Odessa or San Francisco? Because I didn't know men wore tops. But anyway, thank you for that sweet comment. Y'all like my top today? Um, I'm, I'm kidding. Great to be with you and so thrilled to be a part of 
of, listen, I would say this, if you're a guest today like we are, I would just challenge you to jump in. If you're wading out a little bit ankle deep into um, Impact City Church and you're just kind of trying to figure things out, I'd just say dive, dive right in. Get, get connected in next steps and learn how you can be a part. I want to tell you, life is, is better together. I don't care where you are, what stage of life, life is better together. I just want to challenge you to be a part of the body of Christ. Don't just look on from a distance. Get in here and let's see God do some great things in Impact City. I'm thrilled to be here today. As a matter of fact, I want to do one thing. I know you just sat down. I'll ask you to stand to your feet one, th- one time. And I just want to, I want to speak this over you. And I, I believe that by this time next year, you could be thinking about what are we going to do for space? Do we need to go to another service? I believe that you're sitting on a precipice of forward growth. I believe you've got the ingredients. The Spirit of God is so rich and so real. Uh, The joy of the Lord is obvious in this house. Everybody I talk to just overflowing and brimming over with joy. Thank you for that. It creates an atmosphere where the, the, the kingdom of God can expand. People walk in, they've been beat up all weekend, they come in and feel this kind of an atmosphere, man, it's just like people taking a, a load off their shoulders. I, I'm glad you want to be that church. I want to, I want to pastor that kind of church too. So I, just, I would just say, I believe this time next year you could very possibly be trying to figure out what we're going to do about space. So I want you to do this with me. Put your finger in the air, and I want you I want to just give a little demonstration. I want us to do this. Everybody, full voice, louder than you even sang. I want you to say, wall to wall, wall to wall, people. And I don't want to say it like that. I want you to shout it in faith and declare it in the name of the Lord. You ready? Let's try it one time. Wall to wall, wall to wall, people. All right? That was great. That was great. Come on, give yourself a hand. I think you can do better than that. I want you to act like you're um, at a Texas Tech game, and they're up 42 to nothing. Come on. I want you to act like you're really in this thing. Come on. We're going to shout it out. We're going to shout it out. I'm going to turn my mic off because I want to shout it too. You ready? Praise your name, Lord Jesus. We believe it. You can be seated. God bless you for your presence and your participation today. Your pastors are amazing. It doesn't really hurt either. They're so good looking. I mean, helps your evangelism efforts, right? You might say, well, our pastor's a really great preacher, but boy, he's just so ugly. He's hard to look at. Or his poor wife, man, she just, no, you got great pastors and we love them and we're thankful uh, to be a part of this day today. Uh, and we're believing God for great things. So a couple of few, I don't know how many weeks ago now, one of our pastors from Christ Church, Nathan, came and spoke. And, and I don't know that I would have told a Boudreaux joke, but he put it on me. He, I think he said, Pastor Tom will tell a Boudreaux joke. And so I'm not a great joke teller, but I will share this with you today before we get in the Word. Boudreaux and Thibodeau, a couple of South Louisiana, Cajun, rough around the edges, don't really process things mentally that well. Boudreaux answered an ad in the newspaper to transport 500 penguins to the zoo. So he got his pig trailer hooked up to his truck. He got the, the 500 penguins loaded up. And he's hooking them down to the local zoo. And all of a sudden, his truck 
gave a big loud knock and it just died right on the side of the road. Oh my goodness, I got these penguins out here in the sun. I got to get them to the zoo. He unhitched his trailer and he's waiting by the side of his truck, hoping somebody would stop by to help him. And sure enough, in just a few minutes, his old buddy Thibodeau came by. He flagged Thibodeau down. Thibodeau, I'll give you, I'll give you $500 if you'll latch onto this trailer and take these penguins to the zoo. Thibodeau said, oh, sure, man. I've, I've been looking for something to do on the side. I need, a, I need some extra money. So he hooks the trailer up. Boudreaux goes, gets his truck fixed. The next morning, his truck's back running, and he runs downtown, and he's blown away by what he sees on the next corner. There goes Thibodeau, and behind him, single file, 500 penguins crossing the street. He ran up and said, Thibodeau, I told you, I done told you to take those penguins down to the zoo. He said, cool your crawdads, Shaw. Oh, we done been to the zoo. We have money left over. Now we go and do the movies. <laughs> oh, poor old Thibodeau. He just didn't understand uh, what, what, uh, how things work. And he didn't understand that, his purpose. And a lot of people, a lot of Christians suffer because they don't understand their purpose in the kingdom of God. Are you ready to jump into the Word? Let's look at this. Philippians chapter 3, very familiar passage. You've heard it preached from many, many times. I want to share something very simple with you today, not something elaborate, grandiose, just to break the bread of life and to help somebody today. I want to, if I were titling the message, it would be simply let go and live. Let go. Say that with me. Let go and live. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 not that Paul writing, he says, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brothers, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. One of the greatest things that you and I can do for ourselves and for the kingdom of God is to understand and realize what is our upward call. What is, we need to identify that high call in our own individual lives. You may be familiar with a, a gentleman by the name of Viktor Frankl. He was an Austrian psychologist who, who was a Jew and he got caught up in, in Hitler's Nazi regime. Sent to the Auschwitz death camp, and he, he, he recounts the, the, the story of what happened there, and they stripped him, immediately stripped him naked of all his clothes, and they sprayed him down for lice, and they, he said, we didn't have any clothes, there weren't any clothes, you'd had to wait on somebody to die before you could get some clothes. After about two weeks, finally, somebody died and brought me a pair of, of pants and a, and a filthy, filthy jacket. And uh, he, he said, he was praying, God, what in the world am I doing in this death camp? I, I can't serve you here, God. I, I mean, I've, I've educated myself. He was, he was in Austria trying to f finish his doctorate degree in psychology. God, I'm called to heal people. I want to help people. I want to be a blessing in people. God, what, what am I going to, how can I further your purpose in this death camp? And he said he reached his hand down in the pocket of that filthy, filthy coat, and he pulled out a little 
dirty, nasty piece of paper. And he, he, he said he, he'd been praying now for days, almost with bitterness. God, I want to know my purpose. This is not my purpose. And in the pocket of that worn-out coat, he read it and began to weep. And he said he fell into the corner of that prison house weeping because God had answered his prayer that quick. Just finished praying, Lord, show me my purpose. And on that dirty little piece of paper in that jacket of somebody who had worn it to their death, was written a passage out of Deuteronomy 6. What become to the Jews a morning and evening prayer called the Shema. And he, it was on that paper. It was their, their last words spoken before their death. And on that piece of paper, paper out of Deuteronomy 6 were the words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And he said, I just broke when I read that because I realized God had answered my prayer. Victor, your, your, your purpose is not your vocation, and your vocation is not your purpose. Your purpose is to love me and to serve me and to worship me with all your heart. With all this within you, listen, a surefire formula for failure in the Christian life is to be duped into thinking that something, anything outside our love for Jesus Christ can somehow be our source of satisfaction, that somehow anything other than Jesus is going to satisfy the deep inner longings of our life. I hope you've served God long enough to understand that only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Anybody in the room would agree with that today? That only Jesus can do it for you. That relationship, that career, right career path, that some, somehow believing that making all the, 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 the make, it'll make the difference. I mean, if you made a, a lot more money, if I could just get the promotion, this position, this guy, this girl, a different set of circumstances, if I could move to that place, please hear what I'm saying. If you're building your hopes and your dreams on anything outside Jesus Christ, on your personal circumstances, you're likely to live in a constant state of total disappointment, disappointment in life, disappointment in relationship, disappointment, frankly, with God. But because before your day is out, your sweet situation could turn sour. You can be on cloud nine today, but tomorrow you can be looking up to see bottom. That's how fluid and moving and, and transient life is, frankly. Life is a constant state of flux. It is unpredictable. It's always changing. Someone said the only thing that never changes in life is change itself. So what are you supposed to do? Let the words on that dirty old piece of paper jump into your heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus said the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Trent and I decided a long time ago that we weren't, we, we weren't, we weren't what's going to make each other happy. We, we weren't going to depend on each other. As much joy that she brings to my life, I can't depend on Trina to make me happy. Trina, the moment I put, my, uh, put Trina and our children, our grandchildren in a position to somehow be responsible for the level of joy in my life and my contentment, I, I've set us all up for a terrible disaster, disappointment and heartache. Nehemiah said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the joy of the Lord is my strength. My friends, no. My career, no. My family, no. My, my, my talent, no. My money, no. The joy of the Lord is my 
strength. Somebody say amen today. So we do life in three dimensions, and let me just get to the meat of what I want to talk about today. We do life in past, present, and future. So I want to talk first of all to us about the past, because I believe that if we're going to be successful in any arena in our life, but especially in the Christian life, we're going to have to deal with our past if we're going to live a victorious present and a beautiful future in Jesus. We've got to deal with our past. Somebody, so many people say, well, yeah, I've dealt with my past, but I've dealt with my past. And it seems like behind the word past is always a comma, but, comma. I still, this or that or the other thing. No, what we've got to do is learn to put a period where God puts a period. Erase the commas and just say, I have dealt with my past in the name of the Lord, and I'm marching forward to a victorious future in Jesus. Just before I embraced the call to ministry, I'd experienced a really strong encounter with the Lord, and I, I could take you to the place. It was an ordination service. I, I, was, I worked offshore in the drilling industry for 10 years before when we first married, and um, I worked on jack-up rigs, and, and uh, I was a driller for 10 years, and Sub for a pushing job many, many times, but never made the pushing position. I was focused. I'm thinking, if I could just make tool pusher. Um, and I was sitting in ordination service one day. Trina was by my side. And, and they were passing out, as they often do with people being ordained in the gospel ministry. They would give them a towel. In other words, uh, you, as a minister, you're nothing more than a, a servant, a, the, the top servant. Serve everybody. And right while I was sitting, listening, and watching this thing unfold, you know, sometimes God nudges people, sometimes he pushes people, and sometimes he has a, people have a Damascus Road kind of experience, like Paul got knocked off his beast of burden by a bright light. Well, God gave me in that moment a Damascus Road kind of experience, and it was like God grabbed me by the shirt collar and shook me and said, you're, you're chasing the wrong dream, son. You're not supposed to spend, your, your purpose is not oil field, your purpose is ministry. You're called to serve me in ministry. And I, I began to weep, and I, the more I wept, I, I became uncontrollable, and there's people all around me, and I, I began to be loud. I had to get up and leave the building because of my weeping. I couldn't tell Trina what was going on. Three days later, I, I cried for three days. I told her three days later, God's called me to preach. She cried for three days, right? I mean, kind of how it unfolded. So I did what people do. I went down to get my local preaching license in the denominational structure that we were in. And, and uh, a man that was um, uh, a well-respected minister of the gospel, probably 30 years older than me. I was 27 when I accepted my call, embraced my call. He came into the room where there were a bunch of preachers ready and willing and committed their lives to gospel ministry. And he looked at us, and he just, in a very mean-spirited approach, said to us, I don't see any preachers in this room. Who told you you were called to preach? I don't see any preachers. And that thing lodged in my spirit. Actually, I, after he left, I left and decided this is not the group that I need to be a part of <laughs> and um, continued in the ministry. But I think that lodged as a splinter in my spirit, right? You, you get a splinter in your thumb, you got to get it out because the longer you leave it, the more it festers and becomes infected. It's touchy, it's sensitive. You touch other people with it, 
you, you become very overly sensitive. I, I had a splinter in my spirit. I had to get that splinter out. I didn't even realize it was there for a lot of years. And a lot of you may be sitting here listening today, and you're thinking, well, I didn't know. I, you, you, before the service, I'm praying that God reveals some things to some of us, that we got some issues that we need to put a period and walk away into total freedom to let go and live our lives for the kingdom of God. And God set me up, and there was a, a preacher gave a word of prophecy over me, and I won't share the whole thing. He just simply said, you've outgrown the facility, talking about our building. You've outgrown the need to prove you were sent. You, you've outgrown the, the facility. You've outgrown the vision. It brought you this far. And then he said, you've outgrown the need to prove that you were sent. Nobody would have known what that meant but me, and God revealed to me in that moment I've been carrying this thing from that preacher spoke over me all those years. You know, people can get hurt sometimes the worst in churches. Isn't that, isn't that terrible? People can get damaged in the house of the Lord. He said, you've outgrown the need to prove that you were sent. That, in my mind, just canceled those words spoken over me so many, many years ago. And I was set free from those chains that had obviously been wrapped around my mind. Now you're just thinking, what in the world does that have to do with me? I'm talking to some people here today that have been victimized by family members. People have endured the horrors of perhaps physical abuse, even sexual abuse. Some in the very room have had your own mama and daddy allow things to happen to go unnoticed and they turn a blind eye while unthinkable, debilitating things that left deep scars took place in your young, tender childhood. There are people who have lived a large portion of their lives with a draining, devastating addiction. Maybe it is illicit drugs. Maybe it's prescription drugs. Maybe it's uh, addiction to pornography. I don't know, but people, we are living in an addictive society. I want to tell you today that you can let go and live or you can hang on and die, but you get to choose. If you're ever going to move forward in your God-given destiny, you're going to have to deal with your past. You've got to come to peace with your past. And let me say it like this. If you take notes, jot this down. If you don't come to terms with your past, if you don't come to terms with your past, your past will rob you of the rest and the best of your life. You've got to deal with your past. Every one of us in the room has pain in our past. We've all got a history. And not all of it is so sweet. I've not always been a preacher. And I'm kind of new here. So I, and I usually don't, on my very first visit, tell all my junk. But I'll just go ahead and tell you, I've got a past. I was raised in a pastor's home. Tried to prove that I could be as cool as the deacon's kids, right? Got in all kind of trouble with the law. Fingerprinted, mugshot. I visited every jail in our county before I was 18 years old. I'm not proud of it, but I had a past. And I dealt with my past, and I thought for years, well, I got this long stuff, and people know me, and people, it was in the newspapers, a bunch of vandalism, kiddish, stupid vandalism, three years of probation, and every month, $200 out of my high school wage earning, every month went to pay for the damage that I did. And people knew about it. 
And I had to walk out of my past so that I could pursue the dream that God had for my life because your past can be like a ball and chain for your forward progress. you got to move past your past. And every one of us in this room has a history. It's not all beautiful. He walked out and left you with two kids and no support. Some business deal went sour. You got ripped off. Promises were broken. Lies were told. She won't let you see the kid. They walk right past you and will not speak. Had to train your new boss. The children took advantage. The parents showed partiality. Divorce, devastation, death, bankruptcy. He never paid you back. They never made it right. Hurts, pains, disappointments by the boatload. On and on we could go with the whole litany of life and how life can bring disappointing hurts and pains and setbacks. But if we hold them and harbor them and nurse them and rock them to sleep every night, we will never move forward in our God-given purpose you got to let go of your past. Let go and live. Yeah. The psalmist wrote, I'll say of the Lord, he's my fortress, my refuge, my strength, my God, in whom I trust. What are you saying, Tom? I'm, I'm saying you may have a past of misery, pain, disappointment, brokenness, and despair, but there is a God who came to redeem you from your past. And I'll just for one say, I'm so indebted to the Lord. My service to him is not something that's hard for me to do. I look back and see where he brought me from, and I'm standing before God's people today, breaking the bread of life. Oh, God, I got to just say thank you, thank you, thank you a thousand times over for what you've done in my life. In Christ, all things, somebody shout, all things, all things are made new in Jesus. And if you're, if you're going to live a victorious Christian life, you got to sort through your past, keep some of it, throw some of it away, but deal with your past. I want to make four very true statements about our past. If you're taking notes, write a couple of these down. First two things you can't, you cannot do about your past. And here's the first one. You cannot change the past. You can't change the past. You can do something about the future, but you cannot change the past. Allow the Holy Spirit to help you deal with the sordid past. Recognize its lethal potential and the roadblocks it puts up. Label it for what it is, a thief of your future, and move forward into what can be the greatest dimensions of your life, your future in Jesus Christ. Deal with your past. You cannot change the past. Here's the second thing. You cannot control the past. It is what it is. The past is not written on a whiteboard. You get a piece of paper towel and just wipe over it and it's gone. No, the past is indelibly printed in your life. You can't control the past. Here's two things you can do about the past. Write it down. You can take steps to overcome your past. Listen, if the past is the past, but if you fail to deal with the past, you'll likely stay zip-tied and tethered to the emotional merry-go-round that rules your life, that damages your relationships. And some people can't figure out, why can't I I keep long-lasting relationships in my life? Well, because your past keeps creeping into those relationships. 
spoils your forward progress. You've got to get Jesus in your life. Find the grace to accept God's provision of forgiveness through the blood of Calvary. Let God heal your emotional wounds. Launch out on a path to forgive those who have hurt you and harmed you. Choose a new set of friends, maybe, that will urge you to a godly lifestyle and bring accountability. Join a small group. Yeah. Link up with some other believers. Work to overcome the negative influences that have dogged your path. Take the necessary steps to overcome your path. Here's the second thing you can do. You can control your thoughts about your past. You can either make your past a filthy, hellish, black chasm of tormenting thoughts that rob you of sleep. Or you can let Jesus Christ deal with your past once and for all. You can live with the horrors of your past every day, or you can dispose of that stuff, deal with it, put it under the blood of Jesus, and walk free. Let go and live. I'm talking about everything from performance issues to mistakes to failures to blatant outright sin. But there's nothing that the blood of Jesus cannot overcome and take care of. I'm thankful for the blood of Calvary. He has done it for all of us who believe. Paul said, I've not yet arrived but this is what I'm doing. I'm forgetting those things that are behind me, some of the, the familiar things that haunt me in the middle of the night in the past. Satan reminded me over and over and over again. I'm, I'm ad-libbing. I'm just thinking through the mind and the lens of the Apostle Paul. He, he always reminds me of how I persecuted the church. I brought men and women who, who named the name of Jesus in chains imprisonment. I killed some. I was there when they stoned Stephen and held their garments in approval, and the enemy wants to continually roll that movie over in my mind of how I persecuted the people of God. It nearly caused me to abandon the faith, lose my mind, but I learned that I had to put the past behind me. I refuse to let my past rob me of my future. So forgetting what is behind me and pressing forward to what lies ahead, I'm always reaching for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, folks, you have a refuge and a door of an open door to your future, a closed door to your past, and an open door to your future. Somebody give God some praise because he's faithful. He's faithful to heal us. And some of you sit week after week under the sound of the good news of the gospel, but you live beneath the crushing load of condemnation, longing to serve the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but the enemy is stamped disqualified across your mind. Satan's infiltrated your life and your thoughts with condemnation and despair. Frankly, in a crowd this size, there's some of you who want to be more involved in this church. You might even want to go through next steps and formalize your relationship, but something in your past has you held back. Well, if they find out about this, if people know this about me, if they know my promiscuous past, if they know what I used to be, and it keeps you locked in a prison. You can't take steps forward because you allow the past to control your future. I think today would be a good day to kick the, serve the devil notice. Put an eviction notice on the door of your heart and tell the devil, baby, hasta la vista, you're out of here, you're gone, baby. Eviction. 
You ought to rise up, refuse to allow the negative experience of your past to dictate the parameters of your God-ordained future. I've come to tell you today that the God who knit you together in your mother's womb, the same God who put on human flesh, walked among men, walked on the sandy shores of the Galilee that he created, who loved people, who healed people, who said, let the children come to me for such is the kingdom of heaven. The same God who chose a a, a cursing, blasphemous fisherman and a tax collector. The same God who died on the cross to forgive you of your sins and to bring you into a new and living hope. You mean to tell me that God did all of that and we're going to still undermine the grace of God and say, well, I know God did all that, but I just don't think he can can handle my past. I want to tell you, you ought to rise up in faith and declare today to the devil, I'm letting go and I'm walking free. I'm not going to live in that hellhole of a prison any longer. Let me tell you about failure. You remember the sequence of events from Scripture. Jesus was about to be crucified, and at the Last Supper, he tells his disciple, disciples, I'm going to make an appointment with you in, in, in Galilee, and after we go through what we're about to go through, meet me down at Galilee at the, beside the lake, and I'll, I'll meet you there for breakfast. So he moves straight from there to the Garden of Gethsemane, where the Bible says he agonized in prayer. His sweat became like great drops of blood. At Gethsemane, while Jesus prayed, his disciples slept. At his trial, they either are absent or deny that they even know him. He's tortured all night long, beaten to a bloody pulp. The Bible says that he was beaten so you couldn't even recognize who he was. Now when he needs a volunteer to carry his cross, not one of them are there. So the Roman centurions grab a stranger out of the crowd to carry his cross. Their performance, folks, was not really that grandiose. They failed. They were a mess. Music's going to come and help me bring this to a close. Then if he told them anything for three years, it was this. When they destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up again. He constantly told them that. I must go away. I must go away because if I don't go away, the comforter will not come. Then there on the third day after his crucifixion, there was an ex-prostitute named Mary. She was the only one apparently who really took him at his word that he was going to come back in three days. And he appears to Mary and says, go tell the disciples, I want to have breakfast with you in Galilee. See, Jerusalem was the place of pressure. It was the, it was the crucible of Jesus' life, the, the place of crucifixion. All the trauma and the drama in Jesus' life happened in Jerusalem. But Galilee was where he went to rest. It's where he hung out with his friends. It's where he enjoyed lakeside views and sunsets. It's where a beautiful place of rest and reprieve been blessed with training to sail the beautiful Sea of Galilee and to trace the footsteps of Jesus through those hillsides. And Jesus said, I'll have breakfast with you up by the lake. So he gets up there, and when he gets there, he starts a little fire. And he knows they're out fishing because Peter's already, he's already made this because of his denial three times, and then the rooster crowed. He's made this denial, and he says, and Peter says, everybody, I'm going back to fishing. I don't know what y'all are going to do. Jesus and when God himself killed, we've left our businesses, we've left our families, but I'm going back to fishing. And 
It's just all a bunch of failures this whole week. The rest of them said, we'll, we'll just go with you. Listen, you can't do worse than curse and deny and swear that you've never even known the man. I don't know what your failures may have been. I've shared a couple of small ones with you of mine. I could give you the whole list, but that wouldn't do any good. So Peter says, I'm, I'm going fishing. In other words, I've blown it so bad that ministry for me is long forgotten. I had some dreams. I've had a few prophetic words over my life. I've loved God, but I'm going back to the fishing business because I couldn't have blown it any worse than I've blown it. Ministry for me is over. The rest of them said, well, we'll just go with you. So he's got a tax collector down at the IRS office. Everybody loves those people, right? He's got a couple of hotheads, the Sons of Thunder, James and John. He's got a boat full of guys that don't know how to fish. They fished all night, didn't catch a thing. They're kind of making their way towards shore, and there's this lone figure standing out on the shore by a fire. And that person shouts out, did y'all catch anything? They say, no, we hadn't caught a thing all night. He says, put your net on the other side of the boat. And when they did, their nets filled to overflowing with fish. And Peter had a light come on. That's Jesus on the shore. So he starts taking his, his top off, right? And he dives in, doesn't even think, can the boat get there quicker than I can? I'm just going to swim. He swims to the shore, and, and he, he, he gets there where Jesus has fish and bread on the fire. And they all gather up around the fire. And this is just what you got to love about Jesus. He, he, didn't, he doesn't even bring up all their junk. He doesn't ask them, hey, where you guys been? Why did y'all abandon me? He, he, he doesn't even mention anything about their absence during his suffering and his crucifixion. They'd absolutely abandoned him in his darkest hour. And he doesn't even bring it up. He keeps his appointment with them at the place where he likes to go relax. You know, you don't, you, you don't go on vacation with people you don't like. But Jesus is there at his place of relaxation. This is not a board meeting. This is not being called in the boss's office. It's not a meeting with the dean of students. It's not a gripe session. It's just a time to nurture their weakened faith, a reaffirmation of his love for them. Even in their flawed nature, his love for them was reassured. He's in total victory now. He's in his resurrected body, and he meets them there. Three magnificent things happen. You've got to overlap the Gospels to see this, get this picture. But this is the first thing Jesus said, Thomas, I understand that you, you're having trouble, trouble believing in me. Here, put, put your hand. Feel the spear uh, wound in my side. Feel my hand prints where the nails were. Peter, i got a question, man. Do you love me more than these fish? I mean, it, it, he never mentions Peter deny, Peter's denial. Their conversation in the garden. He, said, he never says, I told you that you were going to deny me. I told you. Mentions nothing about Peter's failure. Do you love these fish? Do you love fishing more than you love me? Peter can't even look Jesus in the face. He's so humiliated. He just says, Lord, Lord he's kind of rubbing his foot in the sand now. Just kind of dejected. Lord, you know I love you. You know I love you. No, Peter... <clears throat> Do you love me more than these? Lord, you know I love you, Lord. And Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. 
Lord, I'm not even going to act like I heard that because it sounds too much like an invitation. I've blown it so horribly. Ministry for me is open. Do you love me, Peter? Lord, you know I love you. Peter, feed my sheep. Lord, uh, how can I do that? I mean, I spend the rest of my life rehearsing my guilt, confessing my failure. Do you love me, Peter? Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Feed sheep? Is there any life left in those dreams, Jesus? Is there any reality, the hope that I could ever be in ministry again after I've done my three-time denial bit? I mean, Lord. And he looks at those 12 losers, excuse me, 11. One had already betrayed him for 30 silver coins. Jesus looks at them and says, I'm not only willing to give you peace for your past, I'll give you power for your present, and I'll give you faith for your future. Go stay in the city of Jerusalem until you receive the power that's coming from on high, the promise of my Father. Fast forward, over 500 have seen Jesus alive after his suffering. 120 people are up in the upper room waiting on the promise of the Father. And the Holy Spirit blows in there in a rushing mighty wind. They all feel the Holy Spirit. And while they were afraid and hiding on this side of their upper room experience, on this side of Pentecost, Peter, who was like a drenched rat afraid of tomorrow, stands and firmly declares, ye men of Galilee, You you have crucified the Lord. This same Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. He was weak, hiding out like a spaghetti noodle overcooked. You could throw it and stick on the wall. He's just a limp, afraid, hiding, afraid, fearful, giving up on everything that God had called him to. Pentecost happens, and now he's emboldened by the Spirit to chisel a period in his past and stand for the name of Jesus Christ and preach the keynote address on the day of Pentecost. I want to tell you, my friends, there's nothing that you can do about your past but release your past. So let go and live. Release it to Jesus. I'm closing with this. Several men on death row in Tennessee. Death row. The Tennessee state legislature brought some laws to the governor trying to ban the death penalty. There were a number of men on death row, and the governor, after a lengthy decision, granted these men a reprieve from the death penalty. And he said, there will be no more death penalty sentences in Tennessee. You men who are on death row, you can live the remainder of your lives. And when that news of that proclamation reached the prison house, they began to applaud. Yeah, yeah, we're going to live. I've been given a reprieve. I'm not going to die. And they were clapping and celebrating and hooping it up in their prison cell. They were clapping and celebrating because they had been given their life. But it was to be a life that would be confined for the rest of their days to a six-by-eight prison cell. How sad is that? The only thing I know that could possibly exceed the sadness of that picture is for people to sit under the sound of the gospel of Jesus Christ week in and week out. They look free on the outside. They're not in chains. They walked in here of their own accord, but inside their heart and their mind, they're bound. 
They're living in a prison house of fear of the future. They're living in a state of condemnation, beating themselves up, condemning themselves, never releasing the past to the Lord's care and walking out to live a real life of faith in Jesus Christ. And if I don't miss my guess, I don't miss my guess, there's some people sitting in this room today who have not yet tasted total freedom that Jesus died to bring all of us. I just ask you to do this one thing. Would you just right where you're sitting this morning, bow your heads and let's just give God a moment because I, honestly, I see a bunch of beautiful faces. I don't know who all is part of this church. Maybe there's some people that come here every week. Maybe you're coming to pacify your wife or your husband or Maybe you're coming to lead your children in the things of God, but you've never really taken a step of faith toward Jesus yourself. And I don't know who you may be today, but I, I don't want to close the service without giving somebody an opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good. Just to give God a chance to break some prison bars out of your life and shatter some chains that set you completely free by His power. Nobody's looking around, heads are bowed. I wonder if you'd just be bold throw your hand in the air and say, pray, pray for me, Pastor Tom. I, I want to I recommit my life. I want to give my life to you. Anybody in this room, come on, thank you. Thank you, sir, for that hand. Come on, hold them high. Let me see where you are. God bless you. Thank you for that hand. Thank you so much. Some of you committing your life to Christ for the very first time, never even giving Jesus a, 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 a wink or nod. Some of you today are saying, I'm coming back to Jesus. I want to get that white, hot passion stirring back in my life again. Come on, let me see those hands one more time really quickly. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. You can put your hands down. God bless you. Would you pray a simple prayer with me? Everybody in the room will pray with our friends who raise their hands. Let's just all pray. It doesn't matter if you prayed it a dozen times. Pray it with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying to save me. I believe you're the Son of God, that you died and were buried, and you rose again on the third day. Today I make you the Lord of my life. I let go of my past so that I can live for you for the rest of my days. 10,000 Sundays from today, I will be found walking in freedom and serving you, Jesus, in the name of the Lord. Amen. Come on, you receive the Word of God. You re Let's celebrate with those who made a, a decision today.